Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to continue our um, series from this very, very important epistle that the Apostle Paul left for the church at Ephesus and for us as members of the body of Christ, the church today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the privilege of opening it, considering it, and applying it to our lives. And so today we ask your uh, Holy Spirit and the presence with us, Lord, to do, to do this for us. Might your words be heard Might our children hear your words as they continue to learn together. And uh, may this truly be a time that we are blessed from having been with your family in your presence today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. This past week I was in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, Wednesday, uh, for the uh, Grace Ministry International uh, Mission Board. I'm on the board there. I wasn't going to go to this meeting. I was going to this has been a lot going on, and I just decided this meeting maybe I would not attend and make the one in June. Um, but when I saw the agenda and who all was going to be there and the missionaries that were home and the things going on, I thought, well, I really should try to make this meeting. So because it was last minute, I had to kind of get creative with my travel arrangements. Um, our mission committee here sponsors one of my trips to go back there. And so I didn't want to spend any more of your money than I had to. So I got creative because I was buying a kind of a late ticket. So I flew to Chicago uh, midnight on uh, Tuesday and I got there Wednesday morning, hung around Chicago and took the train up to Grand Rapids. And I flew home from Grand Rapids to Detroit. Uh, I know it's going backwards and uh, Detroit to Seattle because that was the cheapest route. So we did it all for a, what I would have paid originally. OK, so you all rest assured for that. <laughs> when I got there on Wednesday morning to Chicago, uh, I rode the L train from the airport downtown, had some time to kill. So I was going to hang around downtown. I got off the L train, walked up the steps out in the street. And as I mentioned in Sunday school class this morning, for the first time in my life, I actually felt I was in danger of frostbite. It was so cold. Any of you ever been to Chicago in the wintertime? <laughs> Any of you from Chicago in the wintertime? Are you still alive, Jerry? You good? Okay. It was so cold. That wind was blowing. It was about 11 degrees. And I lived in Minneapolis for six years. But I, I, I really was thinking about frostbite. I took my scarf and wrapped it around my face like an idiot, you know, and everything, and my gloves on. But I survived. And, uh, but later in the day when it warmed up, got up to at least 20 or so, and, you know, and I, the sun came out, it was actually very beautiful. And I, I have to confess to you, I love downtown Chicago. I'm a city, I'm a city guy. I love cities. I love urban environments. I really like downtown Chicago. And I, every chance I get, I like to just walk around and, and look at the buildings and the things there and the architecture and just the history. I, I always, you know, I like to go look at Orchestra Hall where it is and that area of Michigan Avenue and State Street, that Great Street. I just got to say, anyway, and then, you know, I just. <laughs> so the thing about Chicago that I love, though, the architecture is, uh, the, you know, the buildings. And I spent a lot of time going like this, walking around, you know, and looking like a tourist. And um, but, it, you know, the architecture of Chicago 
from that era, especially from the late 1800s and the early 1900s, really influenced so much of architecture all over the Midwest and the West Coast. If you go downtown Seattle and take one of the architecture tours, you will, you will see that, how much Chicago and what happened there during that span of time really influenced the building all over the West Coast. And it's interesting this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter 2 that it's buildings and architecture that really become a, the, the, a metaphor that Paul uses to help us understand what God is doing today. Paul has several favorite metaphors. He likes to use sports metaphors. He likes to use athletic metaphors in sports. I'm sorry, same thing. He likes to use military metaphors. A good soldier of Jesus Christ is there to please his commanding officer. Um, uh, he likes to use uh, metaphors of agriculture. Uh, the, you know, hardworking farmers that first enjoy the fruits. And he uses a lot of metaphors from, the, from architecture and building when it comes to the church, the body of Christ. And this morning, I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2. And we, we, last week, we um, really considered the section uh, up through verse 17, the last couple of weeks. And we really talked about the, the importance of understanding what God is doing today. That who we are today, the church, the body of Christ, uh, to put it in a nutshell, sort of, you know, that's a metaphor, right? Put it in a nutshell. You ever put anything in a nutshell before? Huh? You have? Oh, that's right. Your company sells those. All right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> but we use metaphors all the time. Put it, to put it in a nutshell. Um, uh, last, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the idea that who we are today, we are not fulfilled Israel. We are not spiritualized Israel. We have not inherited the blessings that were given to Israel of a land, uh, you know, of a, of a messianic kingdom. We are a new entity. We are a third race, if you will. We are not Jews and we are not Gentiles. We are the new people of God, the third entity, the church, the body of Christ, where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all equal through faith in Jesus Christ, we are the new people of God, the church, the body of Christ. And we have epistles written to us that help us really understand who we are and what God has for us today. And we understand that we have a, a calling. We believe in the rapture. and We believe that this is really going to happen. And we believe afterward God is going to once again restore uh, Israel, ethnic Israel, and use them to bring in for the entire world the Messianic kingdom, after which will be the new heavens and the new earth. We take all that literally. And so what God is doing today, the new humanity, Jew and Gentile, the new people of God, and this is what we looked at, and God, he made peace through Jesus Christ. We see this in this passage uh, in verse 15. That he came, his purpose was to create in himself one new man. That's the body of Christ. One new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And to wrap that up, he came and he preached peace. This is a real important word in this section of scripture. Peace. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away. That would be the Gentiles. And peace to those who were near, that would be the Jews, for through him we both have access to the Father 
by one spirit. We have peace horizontally. We have peace with one another. And we talked about this last week as we closed our service. I suggested to you that uh, this would be a good time for you to, to restore peace with those maybe whom you have been um, at, uh, at odds with, fellow believers, maybe family members. You know, we're going to spend eternity together. Uh, let's seek peace and pursue it, as the Bible tells us. We have been given horizontal peace with one another, and we are called to, to present that to the world, that we are living at peace with one another. Peace that crosses all racial, economic, social, uh, male, female, bond or free, Jew or Gentile. And we have vertical peace together. We have peace with God. Uh, I want you to learn next, next week's Bible verse. We have, we have peace with God. Um, we've been learning verses and we've been talking uh, the verses we've learned about our state as uh, our sinful condition. And we all have sinned and what the wages of sin is. But God offers us salvation. He offers us peace. He offers us peace with one another and peace with him. And this is a wonderful message we have in the church, the body of Christ. That we access this by faith in Jesus Christ. And notice what he says. The, the goal of this is that we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And I want you to notice in this passage, Paul is, uh, there is a very strong emphasis on what we call the, the, the Trinitarian, the Trinity. You notice that he says here, verse 18, Through Him, Him is who? Christ Jesus. We both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And you will see this in this passage of of Ephesians, the emphasis on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. But we have access to God. Isn't that a wonderful thing today? Aren't you glad that you don't have to come to my office and go through me as a priest? I'm your pastor. I'm not your priest. Aren't you glad that you have access to pray to God wherever you are, whatever you're doing this week, when when you need to, to pray to God and to seek God's guidance uh, you know, the Bible says that, that God gives wisdom to those who ask and gives it liberally. Aren't you glad you don't have to stop and drive into 185th and 1st Northeast and knock on my door and say, Pastor, will you please pray for me? I need, I need to access God. That's part of our Protestant tradition. We don't believe in that. You have direct access to God. Amen? Is anybody drawn on that this week? You don't have to raise your hands. I saw some of you go like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We access that because we have peace with God. And the wonderful thing is we have peace with one another. So look at verse 19. We're going to just wrap up this section of Ephesians today. Consequently, these are the consequences of this. You are no longer, and look, there are two things Paul says. And and the emphasis here, it may be, it may be particularly to the Gentiles, but I, I personally feel... Let me tell you what I think about this. There's a couple of things in this passage. This is the hard thing about preaching. There's a lot of hard things about preaching. There's a lot of great things about preaching. And, um, boy, I can't think of a better way to, uh, to make a living than studying and preaching God's Word. Can you? Huh? People say, isn't it hard to be a pastor? Um, hey, I get paid to study God's Word and preach it to you. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, but when I do that... Uh, you know, there are times I come across things and I say, okay, I don't want to teach the wrong thing. This is God's word, right? I don't want to teach the wrong thing. And I come to something and there's, there's two ways of 
understanding it. And I don't have time in, in a half hour, 25 minutes, whatever, um, whatever Kevin set that clock for back there. I don't have time. I don't have time to, to, to really go into all the detail. And there's going to be two of those things today. So I'm just going to have to tell you in a nutshell what I think. And, uh, but I would not be dogmatic upon this. And this, this verse is one of them. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Now, the, the, you notice these two words here, aliens, if, if you will, aliens and, and, uh, and foreigners, um, sojourners. Really, it comes from the idea in the Old Testament, the idea of sojourners. And those are kind of, in one way, there's kind of two classes of, of people here. You would have a, a resident alien you know, someone who's living in this country who is, who's an alien, who's not a citizen, but they can be here, it's okay. And you've got those who are just here, they are sojourning, they may be passing through, you know, it could be a legal alien type of thing. You've got these, you know, maybe there's two ways of looking at it, but really, in the Bible, this is like we use our language, the, the two really kind of fold into one thought. And that is this. There are legal citizens, and there are non-citizens who do not enjoy the rights of citizenship. And Paul says here, listen, people, you are, you are no longer second class. You are no longer those who do not have full rights as citizens with God's people and members of God's household before you were. And I, I, I personally, what I want to say here is you could look at this and say what he's saying, you Gentiles, before you did not belong to Israel, but now you do. You did not belong to Israel before, but now you enjoy what Israel enjoys. And the fact that he has just made the point that the people of God is a new entity, it's a third race, if you will, I'm not so sure that makes sense as, as much as he says to you, you Ephesians, at one time, you, you, whether you were Jew or Gentile, once this new ministry, the body of Christ began, it began for everybody. Once it begins. And, and, and we'll, we'll see in Romans, we study Romans on Sunday night, and we get to the section of Romans 9 through 11, we'll see that, yes, God maintains a remnant of Israel. Paul says, look at me, I am, I am a Jew, but I am saved. And just because, just because you're a Jew does not make you saved in this dispensation, this era of the church, the body of Christ. And for anybody... Who rejects Jesus Christ, Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female, whoever rejects Christ is not enjoying those rights as a citizen of God's household. But for those who have received it, you formerly were not, but now you are. And this is what I think Paul is saying here. You have now become fellow citizens with the family of God, the church, the body of Christ that has been existing as this ministry has already begun and is spreading throughout the world. This is a prison epistle. It takes place. It's written at Acts 28 post after Acts 28. Sometime in that time, that time frame of that two years he's in prison, he writes this epistle. So the body of Christ has been inaugurated. It has been going. It has been growing. It is spreading all over the world. And Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. Paul says, now you are fellow citizens. You have the right of, of full citizenship. You have that right. You are a citizen of heaven, even while you are here on earth. 
And Paul says, you are members of God's household. And this is where we start to move into the, to the house, the building, um, the edifice language. You know, you are part of a household. I have a household. I, I live in a house that I, I grew up in. It has great memories and great history for our family. Um, you know, my, my four children and my 11 grandchildren, the last count, 11 grandchildren, yeah, 11, uh, they are part of my household. And there are times when they, like this past summer, where they were all there, plus my, my four, uh, my three son-in-laws and my one daughter-in-law. We were all together in our household. Um, that's our household. It's our home. It's, it's, it's where we belong, and I feel at home in my house. I want you to feel at home when you come to my house. When I go to your house, I like to feel at home. But we must admit there is something about your home, isn't there? No matter where it is, whether it's a room you rent, an apartment, whether it's a mobile home, whether it's a mansion, whether you know, whatever it is, it's, it's your place, it's your home. And Paul says, listen, friends, you are, you are fellow citizens of God's people and you are members of God's household. You belong to God. That's why you went to him this week. For those that raised their hand, I said, maybe access God this week in prayer when something came up. It's because he is our heavenly father. He is our heavenly father. We are members together of this household. And then look what he says in verse 20. You're members together. There's this unity. This is a huge theme in Ephesians. This unity that we have. And we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. Look at this building metaphor here. So I told you, I introduced my sermon this morning talking about buildings in Chicago. This, this building and edifice architectural metaphor here. In him, the whole building, 21, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now, we, we have a, a beautiful building to meet in. You know, churches meet in all sorts of locations. Rented locations, buildings, tents, outdoors, campsite, you, you name it. This is what God has given us. Our church is going on 50 years old. Can you believe that? 1964, our church started. And by 1966, we had pretty well finished this building. That building over there was added a few years later, some years later. But we've, this, I love this building. Of course, I grew up in this church, so it has wonderful memories for me. Uh, and this has been my church home. I'm, I'm so thankful that I, I have a, and my kids have a church home, no matter where they are. And only one of them lives here now. They're you know, spread all over the country. But they have, whenever they come here, this is their home. I love this building. I love the architecture of this building. I really do. And, and when any, anything we've done to, to make any changes or anything, you know, we, we try to keep in mind this building was designed by some architects, some well-known church architects in Seattle, did a lot of churches. You'll see this fingerprint in places you go. And I love this building. And it's just a reminder today of, of, of what, what Paul is talking about, what it means to be part of this. Look what he says here. He says, you, you are members of God's household, and this building has been built, in verse 20, on a foundation. And the, look at the foundation are the apostles and prophets. 
We our our church as the as the body of Christ, and our church locally. You know, we are this church has a foundation. It's a secure foundation. It's withstood some earthquakes. You know, we're still here. It's a secure place. The church has been built on a foundation. And Paul says the foundation are the apostles and the prophets. And this is why we hold up the word of God in this church. Because God used those apostles and prophets to bring us his word. And we stand in the Protestant tradition that we say the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. What we believe And what we do is based, everything we need is right here. I am here to help instruct and teach and encourage you. I am bringing no new revelation. I am bringing no new words from God that are not already here. This is our authority. This is our foundation. The apostles and the prophets were bringing the word of God to that early church. And they were building upon it. And I want to suggest to you that the prophets, particularly Paul has in mind here, are the New Testament prophets. I don't, I mean, yes, the Old Testament scriptures are certainly important and part of this, but I think this body of Christ is built upon the message given to the apostles and prophets. The gift of prophecy was an office, an office or a gift given to that early church. You'll see it in the next chapter where, where he says that, that, that this, this mystery that we'll look at this was not made known, verse 5 of chapter 3, in other generations, it has now been revealed by this now, to God's holy apostles and prophets. And we get into the gifts in chapter 4, you'll see in verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets. The gift of prophecy is not just someone who tells the future, but someone who speaks for God. It was a gift of bringing revelation. And the apostles that were the recognized uh, during that era of the heads of the Christian church, the leaders who brought Word of God and the prophets who were given to the congregations and the churches who brought God's word. It was a gift that was given to them. And Paul says this building that we are, the church, has been built upon. The apostles and prophets are the foundation. Remember Jesus' story of the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house in the sand. Have you know that song? Huh? Have you ever learned that song? The wise man, the foolish man, and what happens? Yeah, thanks, Jerry. What happens when the, when it rains out? The foundation. And this is what we are built on. We are built on the foundation. And I, as you walk through downtown Chicago and look at those buildings and look at the, at the and, and go down, look at the foundations. These buildings have been standing well over a hundred years old. I went into one building and took it right up because I saw a sign that some of you know me. You know my weaknesses. And the sign said, used books. <laughs> well, how can you, you know, what are you going to do? You know, if it says used books or used records, this is like, you know, it's written somewhere in the Bible. You've got to go there, right? I mean, so I went in and I actually, and I, and, and I don't know what the deal with the guy. It's actually an elevator guy running the elevator. Is that old? Opening the door and closing for me. I get and didn't trust me or something. So I went up there and walked in this door, opened the door, and a cat jumped out and left. And oh, great, I left the guy's cat out. Walked in the store, looked around for 10 minutes for anybody showed up, and I didn't, anyway. But, you know, the look at this, the marble and the woodwork in this old building to go down to the bottom floor and, and to see this, this foundation, how secure, how strong, to last this long. The only reason the Christian church has lasted this long is because the Holy Spirit has been given to us 
And we use the foundation of the apostles and prophets to keep us going and to keep understanding what God wants for us to do. And an amazing thing is, these words that were written over 2,000 years ago are just as applicable to our lives and help us day to day to day. Some of you have had to make big decisions in your life in the last few months. There's job changes, relocation, health decisions, young children, young people, adult children. You've got decisions to make. Where do you go? You go to God's Word. And it's just as powerful and appropriate as it was 2,000 years ago. How could that be? Because it's built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets as they brought God's Word, and the Holy Spirit helps us to understand it. And then Paul says, listen, Jesus Christ Himself, remember, we are Christians. Amen? The Apostle Paul accused the Corinthians and said, wait a minute now, some of you are saying we're from Paul, we're from Apollos, we're from Cephas, we're from the Jesus Christ party. No, we are all Christians. Who is Paul? Who is Cephas? Who is Apollos? We're just messengers. We are not Paulites. We are Christians because we worship and love Jesus Christ and the empty cross up there is a reminder of how much He loved us and how much He gave His life for us and shed His blood. We are Christians. And that will always be the focal point in this building and everything here that will draw your attention to it because we are Christians. We stand on the cross of Calvary. And Paul says, Jesus Christ, don't forget, He is, and the NIV says, the chief cornerstone. Now, this is one of those places where, you know, I I, want to be as accurate as I can with what the Bible says, because I'm teaching God's holy word to you this morning. And there are two ways of understanding this. There are two ways of understanding it, and I just don't have time to go into details. It would take me a half hour, and and most of you would would kind of lose interest after after a few minutes. Um, But let me just say in a a nutshell, once again, if you don't mind the metaphor, once again, there actually are two ways to understand this. When the translators translated it cornerstone, you probably know what that means. Our church at Bethesda, some friends from Bethesda with us today, we had an influx of Minnesotans today. We had two friends who come all the way from Minnesota to visit us. And Dave and Brianna have come all the way from Minnesota because he's relocated and made a job change here. And they've come from Minnesota. Anybody else from Minnesota today? Have you ever lived in Minnesota? Let me see your hands. Have you ever lived in Minnesota? All right, good. Okay, you feel at home. All right. So uh, what was I talking about here? Cornerstone, Bethesda, yes, all right, <laughs> yes. All right, Bethesda Church, the old church in Minneapolis that I worked at, and where these friends uh, have roots too. Uh, downstairs, under the old building, is a little glass, and behind that glass is the cornerstone written on it the year it was laid. Okay? I'm not quite sure why it's up here, but anyway, <laughs> that's what it says. And the cornerstone, on one hand, could be the first stone laid in a building. And that cornerstone is the one that everything else is going gonna, is gonna, to... It's the angle stone. That's really what the Greek word kind of indicates here, an angle stone. Everything is, is in relation to that cornerstone. You lay it first. Today we have a ceremony out here. We had a shovel. We dug the first you know, shovel. You lay the cornerstone in these buildings. They're made out of, they're made out of, out, out of rock for the most part. You know, wood is not very plentiful in the Middle East. And so it's made out of stone, limestone, and different stones they could work with. You lay the cornerstone and everything goes off of that. That's one way of understanding this. 
The other way of understanding, and you will find uh, solid evangelical and Greek scholars pretty split on this. The other way of understanding it is that you could say Jesus Christ himself being the capstone. And that's why I asked Craig and Christina before. I want to make sure I'm saying this right. And when you build a building, and if you were building an arch, especially a stone arch, although Craig tells me it's the same with these wooden arches, you just don't see it. When you build an arch, when you get to the top, they, they would put in an angle stone like this. It would be shaped like this. And the sides of the arch would come up to it. And as, as Christina put it very easily for me, without that, the building would fall down. <laughs> That's all that matters. That's all it means, you know. Take that out and the building would fall down. But the weight of that, of that arch is distributed through, and, and it's there to, um, to uh, what did you say, connect and lock. It locks it together and it completes the arch. And if you look at the pictures, then you'll see the weight of the building distributed back down. You pull it out, it's going to collapse. And actually, you can just as easily translate this, and you'll see this in Acts 4, that not the word but the thought, that Jesus Christ himself being the capstone. And the idea being here that the foundation is, is the word of God the church, the body of Christ, and what holds it and locks it together is Jesus Christ as the keystone or capstone. Now, that's my own personal preference is that understanding, but I'm not going to be dogmatic. We can, at least we can say this for sure. We can say this for sure. Either way, the point is Jesus Christ is the essential stone without which there is no building. It will all collapse. We are Christians. We love Jesus Christ. We lift up his name. He is the chief capstone, the chief cornerstone. And look what it says in him, the whole building. And look what it says here is joined together. It's fitted together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. It's like a living building. It's almost like an animation, if you can think of in your mind, of a, of a building that is completely complete and finished. Maybe the idea of the capstone, the Lord, the foundation, the building, and it's growing, growing, growing as an entity. It's fitted together. You know, I love this rock wall over here in this building. I know it's ornamental. Because I'm assuming that, because I've told you before, if it's not ornamental, then you should all be sitting over on this side, okay? Because you don't have a rock wall over there holding up the building. So I'm assuming that the beams are doing most of the work, Craig. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) But, you know, I look at this rock wall. And the difference between this rock wall and the walls that these people in Asia Minor would have been familiar with is that you'll notice this rock wall has mortar in between the rocks. They didn't really use mortar. They fit the rocks. So they had to fit together without mortar. They would use holes and dowels often to hold them in place. When the Temple of Solomon was built, if you remember correctly, it tells us in Kings that they had to make, they had to quarry the stones at one location and they had to be perfect, so when they brought them and assembled them, there would be no sound of hammers and chisels in God's holy temple. It was not allowed. So those stones had to be perfect. 
when they arrived on site. But they were fitted together. And I love this metaphor that you and I are fitted together to make up God's household. I can't remember, frankly. I'm assuming this was built on site. Larry, is that Judy? This was built on site. This wasn't... Okay, so I'm right about the beams holding things up. So after everything, then this was put in place. But think about, look at this. Somebody had to fit all these stones together. Look at them. They're all different sizes. They're all different shapes. And somebody had to fit each stone, and it ended up looking like this. And it actually, I don't know if you can see it or not, but it actually curves like that, out that way. All the way out here. Come up here and look at it sometime. Had to fit across the roof, the angle. Every one of those stones had to individually be fitted in place so that it was finished and looks like it was today. And there's a red stone that reminded Pastor Peterson of the blood of Jesus Christ in there as well. But I think of this picture. And I think if our, if our whole building were built out of stone, this is what Paul is saying. The whole building has been fitted together. And I thought about that picture in my mind of, of, of all of us. And I just want you to understand today. I want you to understand this. How important you are to God's work. God has, has fitted you into this building. You have your place. You may not look like the other stones. You may not feel like the other stones. But we all have our place. And God had, and you know, when you fit stones together, sometimes you've got to shave some stuff off. Sometimes you've got to work it in. Sometimes you've got to hammer and chisel. And maybe some of you have felt that way in your life, that, 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 you know, that God has maybe hammered and chiseled and, and shaved and worked, and it hasn't been so easy. But God has placed each one of us where he wants us. We belong to a universal church, the body of Christ. You know, I refer to my friends here from Minnesota today, and I think back how, I mean, think of the lives that, as, as Christians. Think of your story. Think of where you have been. Think of the lives you have been interacted with. People now all over the world, all over the country, uh, young people, as, as God uses you. And, 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 I mean, some of you have been on mission trips. So you, were, you were last week in, in Leavenworth. You know, God is using you. And, and before God is through, you're going to have connections all over this world because God has fit you. And yet we're interlocked and we're a building that we continue to grow in relationships and when the world looks at us, what do they see? They see, the, they see what it says here. He says, look at when all is said and done, and in him you too are, and look at verse 22, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Yes, church at Ephesus. But church at Ephesus, you are part of something so much bigger. Church in Seattle. We are part of something so much bigger. But each one of us individually has been put here. God wants, listen, what you do, where you live, what your job is, where you go to school, what neighborhood you're in, God has placed you. He has fitted you. He has a plan. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. Every one of us, and not one of you here today, but if you know Christ as Savior, you are, you are inside that plan and purpose 
of God's building that is growing and that the world looks at. And the world looks at it and should be able to say, that's where God lives. That's where the Holy Spirit is. Because we have, every one of us, been placed together to be what God wants us to be. Now, if you, can you just allow me for a minute? Um, I, I want to just share this with you. How our lives connect and interact. I was at the mission board meeting this week. One of our missionaries that came was, was a man from Congo, originally Eric Mango. Eric Mango. And I got to ride. We went to the airport together because he was leaving on one plane. I was going on the other, and we spent some time together. And I think we're going to have a chance to have him out here a year from this fall is the plan. He's going to go as a missionary back to Africa, supported as a partner missionary. Listen to this story, and I'll tell you why I'm just going to read this to you. I was born in a family of 12 in a place called Sange in Congo. I did by primary school, and he lists where he went to school. I graduated with a diploma in agriculture. I joined a university to study literature and African culture. While at the university, the 1996 war began. All my studies were interrupted because all schools were declared closed and people started leaving the city in thousands. As I was praying, I did not feel peace about leaving, so I went back to seek advice from my pastor, who said he was not leaving either. He said that being a pastor was willing to die with the last person who remained in the city. He gave freedom to any of his family members who wanted to leave, and they all left. We remained praying until the rebels took the city in ambush. When the city was in their hands, they began to break into houses and to deal with those who remained. At that time, they were not shooting people anymore, but butchering them with knives. Before they reached us, we heard the neighbors screaming in agony as they were being butchered. When they knocked on our gate, the pastor said we should open the gate for them before they broke in. It was such a terrifying picture to see them in their uniforms full of blood and holding bayonets that were still dripping blood. One of them asked the pastor to say his last words before they killed us. And the pastor responded, we were just waiting for you. Do it quickly. We want to go to heaven. Those rebels were amazed. One of them just grabbed the wristwatch the pastor had, put it on, and pushed him back, saying, we're coming back. The other one looked at him and said, young man, today your life is in my hands, and they, and they left. They went back in the prayer room, which was in the pastor's house. It was only there specifically for prayer. And the pastor said, Eric, I'm going to die. But as you remain, hold on to faith, live for Christ, and preach him. I tried to argue with him that we were all going to be killed because these guys never spared anyone. But they came back, and they shot just the pastor. And that man of God fell on his Bible and breathed his last. When he was turning to shoot me, his fellow rebel grabbed the gun, took him outside. I remember him telling me while gnashing his teeth, young man, continue praying. And he remained, he talked about how he remained there with the body of his pastor. He couldn't stand the stench anymore. It was, it was so bad. And they finally they went outside and the whole street was full of nothing but dead bodies. I came back in the house but could not endure it. So I, I went to the church. There were so many bodies and they found one of the deacons, and his whole family had been killed as they were trying to cross the lake. He helped me to dig a grave. We buried the pastor. And this is just the start of his testimony. I can copy this and leave here if you'd like to have this, 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 this put out by Grace Ministries. He talks about his journey from there. And he talks about his journey through Malawi and, and Tanzania and all the things that they went through. And how, by God's grace, they were rescued by Tanzanian fishermen. And they ended up in Malawi. 
and but the thing that's, the, the thing that connects with me, because I'm connected with you, and we're connected with Grace Ministry International. See, we are all fitted together. And you and I would never have seen Eric and never know anything about this story except you here have given resources that have supported our grace ministry in Africa. We support Pastor Kennedy, Dwayne, and many others have been there so many times and seen work, that have sent things. We've been to Africa. And he goes on to say, of all this, and he ends up in Zambia, and he went, and he, and he ends up, and he crosses paths with a man named Reverend Kennedy Simtoe. Conducted a seminar on evangelism. I was greatly challenged by his teaching. I keep writing to him, and he's in Zambia. He comes back, and he ends up going to Zambia Bible Training Center. To make a long story short, in a nutshell, Eric has become part of our work in Africa. And has committed his life. He had, and we helped him go to school. You have been given money. Some of our money has gone to GMI. Has helped pay for him to go to school. His wife is finishing school. He had offers to go full time to Canada and America to study on his master's and doctorate degree, paid for because he's such a good student. And without blinking an eye, he said, "No, this. I'm committed to this work. I'm committed to this work. This is where God has put me." What a, what a privilege to hear his testimony and to, and to pray with him and to hear his commitment. And I, and I say all that just simply to say this, friends. You've never met him. You have never met hundreds of thousands of people all over this world. I've got a bracelet here that, that represents the ministry in Congo. They're trying to reach 10,000 children for Christ. They want to reach 1,000 more this year. And all I did was say, yes, I'll commit to praying for one child this year and then and I have this bracelet to remind me. All over the world, the Philippines, Indonesia, we were last year. Why? Because God has placed you where He wants you. And you might be over here and never see that stone that's up there that's been fit together. But we are all part of the same building. God's household that is growing. And listen, friends, you are deeply you are deeply important to God's work. Don't you ever let anybody intimidate you or tell you that, that you are not important to God's work. It might have been your $5 that might have made a difference in somebody going to school or not and connecting with Pastor Kennedy and going back as our missionary to an African country to reach thousands for Jesus Christ. We are being built up, built together to a dwelling place in which God lives by His Holy Spirit. My family lives in my house. It's their home. Listen, we are God's home here on earth. And you've been placed in that building. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this faithful congregation and their love for you, their desire to give to your work, to serve you, to pray for your work. Lord, what a wonderful thing that we can come and gather on Sundays and 
share together our lives. You'll fit us together as a local household. We are a local assembly, a local building. We've been fit together perfectly. We are growing in you. There are some here today, Lord, who have come to know Christ as their Savior even this last year, and they have been fitted into your household and your plan, and you are using them. And Lord, oh, what, a, what, a, what a joy and what a treasure. And we just thank you today, and we just commit our lives to you. Whatever comes our way this week, and we will live for you. We will serve you. We will love you. We will give to you because of what you have done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our service, and it's our custom that the pastor closes in prayer, but Lord, I pray on behalf of everyone here today. As your family, we do love you. You've been so good to us, every one of us, Lord. We don't deserve it, and we know we don't deserve it. We are worse sinners than we could ever imagine, but we are loved more than we could ever dare to imagine either. And Father, we just pray uh, this week that we'll just at least remember that we are Christians. We love and serve you. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord. And he is the capstone of this building. Without him, we would be just another great religion. But with him, we are the temple and the household of the Holy Spirit. Where we go, you go with us this week. And Father, we leave this place aware of that, encouraged by that, and challenged by that, every single one of us. In Christ's name we pray together.